uh, we are talking about the idea of the uh, pay costs, right, at one level, right, and the pay cost goes back to the bacchanalia, okay, uh, that is to Bacchus, who is the god of wine, right, yeah, and uh, uh, Dionysius in Greek mythology, right, yeah, so we go back to all that, and the idea is that uh, the idea of going back to nature, right, which is an old idea, right, and it's old, uh, of course, Rousseau comes up with it in a different way, right, and uh, uh, so the idea of the romantic is built after Rousseau, and it comes up with this idea of uh, letting your own feelings go in whatever way they can without being encumbered by nature. That's what how the romantics uh, take it on, right? And they believe in a lot of freedom for the child, etc., etc. But when we're talking about nature, we're talking about, and we're talking about this idea of uh, sexuality, flirtationness, whether it's verbal or physical, right? All that kind of thing. And you find that it's very open about Frank and Emma, right? Yeah. And he's trying to impress her in what you call a very uh, typically patriarchal manner, right? And uh, he's trying to uh, be very open about his kind of uh, uh, appreciation or love or attraction towards her, right? So that's something that is not something that is uh, hidden, but it's very public, right? And uh, the more important thing is he calls her kind, uh, he makes her kind of a patroness of the party and Elton thinks that she's the patroness of the party, etc. Right? Yeah, so you have a lot of conflicting ideas and what is interesting over here is the idea of the myth criticism and the idea of the conflicting ideas of a party and a picnic. Right? Okay, and we go back to the idea of the idea, right? Yeah, which we get from Plato, etc., right? So what's your idea of a picnic? What's my idea of a picnic? What's your idea of a party? What's my idea of a party, right? And the idea of the party is the people are going together, right? And when I was reading the chapter, I was thinking of the word party and how it's interestingly used, right? And you say, uh, these are the people of the, uh, this is one party, Right? And when you talk about let's have a party, right? Yeah? Party means uh, a feast uh, uh, where people come together and they so socialize and it looks as if it's one. The same happens in politics. When we're talking about a party, we think that everybody of a party is the same. They're not. Right? And that's exactly what happens in chapter 7. Over here, you have people going in different directions, right? And no one person can control them, right? So I think that's a very important thing. That's one. The idea of going back to nature and the idea of reflection is something that happens over here, right? Because what happens is something that is against the idea of what Emma says and the Vijay had brought it up the other time. We're talking about English culture, English, all, everything that's English, right? And Emma does something that is terribly un-English, right? And the idea of the politeness principle of society and the idea of gentility of culture is something that she forgets, right? And uh, what happens is interesting 
because it's also about the idea of the male-female relationship, which is taking place between uh, Frank Churchill and Emma. Right? Yeah. So Frank Churchill is trying to impress Emma by saying the uh, the two letters which are more the most perfect in the in the language. Right? And he says M and A, which is supposed to stand for Emma. Yeah. Right, and it's actually playing uh, with that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so that's uh, it's it's a kind of a very ordinary kind of flirtation. It's not very uh, sophisticated at all, but it's something that young people do to, uh, and they don't have what you call the wit to deal with it, right? It's a more sophisticated person who will point out the differences and uh, get people hooked intellectually, right? Yeah. So I think that's again something that is to be looked at, right? And the kind of party game that they have is that they are, yeah, act, they're going to act, have two people tell stories and they have got to tell uh, two dull stories, etc. Right? Yeah. And that's when uh, the bubble bursts, right? And that's when Emma says things that she shouldn't say, right? Because she actually uh, has a fast one on uh, Mrs. Bates and says, no, only two, otherwise it'll get too much for us, right? And she actually tries, tries to tell Mrs. Bates that uh, what you're doing, uh, you are a boring person, right? Yeah? Now, that's something that is... Uh, uh, what everybody notices that Miss Bates gets a little offended about it, right? And she says, yeah, so that, that's something that we've got to look at. And that's what Churchill uh, reprimands uh, Emma for, right? He says, how can you do this, right? And then the whole idea of reflection about hurting a person, okay, for social reasons, not for religious or anything of the sort, but for social reasons, the idea of politeness or what we talked about as English culture, that's one of the things that uh, comes across as being uh, damaged slightly, right? Yeah, of course, the other thing at the party is uh, Elton, Mrs. Elton and Mr. Elton want to go their own way, right? Yeah, and uh, Harriet is as usual, as usual, uh, reserved, right? Yeah, so you have all this going on, but Frank Churchill actually pulls up uh, Emma for the behavior to Miss Bates and also says, well, and uh, the reflection about Miss Bates is that she's good in some ways and bad in some ways and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, but what Emma does to her is not polite at all, right? And uh, he, she's actually trying to tell her that you're a dull person, right? Yeah, and that's something that nobody is supposed to do, right? Yeah, and he said, uh, what Frank says is, well, if she had been of your status and your uh, your background and your status, uh, you have actually to have sympathy for her for the simple reason that she was brought up in better circumstances and the circumstances have gone down, right? Yeah, the whole idea of the... Uh, what uh, we would say uh, the money that she had right or the money or the family that she was brought in uh, born into 
has slowly decayed, right? Yeah, they've uh, lost out on the property, right? And this is something that happens to many people, right? Yeah, but it's uh, quite sad when this happens, right? Because if you're born into a very, and that's uh, again something that you find in the romantic, right? So when you have the idea of uh, the three sisters, right? And you have Lopahin, right? Or the aristocrats getting married to a businessman who sees the worth of the cherry orchard in Chekhov's play, right? Uh, you have uh, the idea of the cherries, the cherry orchard being cut, which is a very painful kind of thing for an aristocratic kind of perception, right? So they actually feel very bad that the cherry orchard is being cut, right? And the whole idea of uh, being degraded in status is what an aristocrat feels, right? And that's why you have uh, the critic called Terry Eagleton who talks about, let us forget about our good old days and put up with the bad new ones. Of course, he's talking against the Marxist, though he's supposed to be a Marxist critic, yeah? But most of the Marxists would always talk about the good old days, right? Yeah. So, Eagleton is telling them, well, let's put up with the present days, okay? And let's see how you can put up with the present days, right? Yeah. Uh, the present days are bad, right? And every time we say, well, the present days are bad and the good old days are better, right? So, that's, this is what you call romantic, right? So, that's one of the, a little bit of the aspect of romanticism which comes in, right? And uh, I think when we look at it very closely and we're trying to dialogue with this man called uh, Northrop Fry, right? The idea is, is uh, Jane Austen really not romantic, right? Yeah. And when you're talk talking about a person's uh, economic status falling down, right? You're actually saying, well, you have to be sympathetic to somebody whose economic status has gone down, right? Because when somebody's economic status goes down, they, are, they actually suffer, right? So that's what Frank Churchill says, right? And he says, well, when she gets older, what will happen is she'll feel even worse, right? And how could you do it to a person like this, right? If it's somebody of your own status and level and you make the joke, it doesn't hurt. But it definitely hurts somebody who is doing what she's doing because her economic situation is changed, right? Yeah, and uh, the idea of respecting her age, respecting uh, that she knew you as a child, right? And all those kind of things, right? Is something that comes up, right? Which is something that is very Indian, right? And you have people, the whole idea of this respecting of age is something that's very Indian uh, even today. Right? And uh, maybe uh, people in the United States or maybe uh, people who uh, live in a different kind of modern world will not think about anymore, right? Because the idea of, uh, uh, the idea of reason, right, is something that overrides age, right? Yeah, so uh, just, okay, and one normally pays attention to the fact that somebody is of an old mentality and one doesn't give 
too much of uh, weight to uh, somebody who's got very archaic kind of behaviors or uh, behavior or very archaic kind of rules about themselves or about the world, right? Yeah, so they become a butt of the joke today, right? But um, what happens over here is they're talking about if somebody is down, do you actually uh, make fun of them, right? So that's exactly where uh, Charles comes up and is at one level it's quite complex because it begins with this idea of the idea of flirtation, right? And uh, the hint that is given is that a letter goes to Maple Grove talking about the flirtation between Frank Churchill and Emma, right? Yeah, and it can be called nothing else. And that's a big question, right? Uh, it's like uh, if a person knows, okay, <laughs> and this happened to one of my friends, Right? And he told me that, you know, I've got two girlfriends, right? And the girlfriend also is a friend of mine. And uh, I said, well, that's what he said. So she, was, she took that very seriously. And she, she told him straight, she said, look, I would be a flirt if I know that you've got another girlfriend and I'm going around with you, right? So either we break up or you, are one, you choose one of them, right? Of course, that's a monogamous kind of worldview, right? which uh, many people would criticize today and okay all those kind of things right but uh, that's exactly what is being said right yeah so the idea is uh, this is something that is gossiped about right and that's what Jane Austen tries to say when she's saying the one letter goes to Ireland and one letter goes to Maple Grove right that is Jane Fairfax is probably written a letter to Ireland and tell, telling them about Frank Churchill and Emma, right? And of course, Miss Mrs. Elton is writing one to Maple Grove and talking about the flirtation between Charles, uh, uh, Frank Churchill and Emma, right? So that's one part of it. But in the whole uh, heat, yeah, because the, the, the chapter begins with the idea of heat, right? Yeah, the idea that uh, or the, the last chapter has the idea of, oh, you're too hot, uh, okay, because you've been riding, etc. And it's actually talking about this emotionality and it goes into the emotionality of the characters which have got what you call sexual heat about it, right? Yeah, so that's another way of looking at it. And then we talk about this idea of myth, the, the, the myth criticism where you talk about the open spaces, the garden, and all these kind of influences which are supposed to be pagan, right? And these are the uh, pagan as pagos, uh, and that's got to do with nature, right? For uh, many of the people who live, or the animists, everything in nature has got a, a life, right? So that's something that it comes across in this chapter, right? So the picnic and bo boxing is this question of outdoors, away from society, away from the encumbrances of society in many ways, but you can't get rid of all your so-called culture, right? And of course, Emma feels freer, and we all, uh, we have to remember that she's a young person, and she makes a mistake, right? Now, the, the way Charles reprimands her about manners and behavior, right, is something that uh, keeps, uh, and he does it quite well, Right? Though he 
praises her and he's showing that he's very fond of her and all those kind of things. That's one part of it. But the other, the reprimand, is something that goes on till the end of the chapter, right? And it is talking about the idea of reflection. Yeah? So one is the idea of reflection is something that's important, right? And if we do not reflect upon our behavior, okay, then we don't learn, right? So that's what is actually the idea over there, right? And that's an important lesson because when we're talking about the, chap uh, the whole idea of the growth of characters according to this idea of uh, 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 this person called Ian Foster, right? Yeah, aspects of the novel, right? When we're talking about character and character growth, right? We're actually talking about this idea that uh, how do characters grow, right? And none of us as human beings can grow without reflection, right? We realize that we've done something wrong or we've done something good, right? And we've dealt with somebody's emotions either well or badly, right? And we all have to do this, right? And that's why we need other people, right? Which of course the lockdown doesn't provide. But when you get into company, okay, and you talk about your behavior, the behavior only changes if you reflect, right? And even if you are not bothered about company, right? Or you're not bothered about your social kind of maturity, right? Uh, the idea of maturity comes in only with reflection because you think that, well, this is the way I've, I've lived up to now. I have to think about it again and change it, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, there are many. So, so this is a very important chapter in the fact that it's re-emphasizing, or you might like to call it a very uh, conservative kind of chapter, because this is what is actually re-emphasizing a real kind of European uh, Christian and Roman kinds of understandings, right? Yeah. So we go back to Aristotle and is talking about recognition, right? And I think they use that word over here in the chapter, right? Yeah. The idea of recognizing, recognition, right? And the idea of uh, what happens and reflection, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about recognition and reflection, and you find that I have made, I've done something wrong, right? And uh, the idea of what Aristotle calls anagnosis, right? Which happens in drama according to Aristotle, right? Uh, and many other people say that uh, people went to look at the drama to look for metaphors, right? To see if they could recognize metaphors, if they could recognize figures of speech, right? If they could recognize themselves in the characters that they watched in place, right? Yeah. So the idea of reflection and recollection is something that uh, is a very important part of uh, normal training of people, right? Yeah. And it's become a part of our lives too because we've got this modern European kind of way of uh, uh, education, right? So do we reflect on the way we spoke, right? Or do we reflect upon the way we write an answer in the examination or write an essay anywhere, right? How do we learn? By doing and reflecting, right? Yeah, doing something and reflecting upon it and trying to change it and become better, right? Uh, so again, I would, I would argue strongly that 
uh, Jane Austen has a lot of romantic elements uh, in her, right? And in her writing, and especially in this novel, right? Because this is a, uh, uh, an old kind of uh, way of dealing with it, but it's definitely romantic in as much as you reflect and change, right? Yeah, so the, the idea of reflection becomes important and the idea of uh, beginning to realize that Miss Bates is not fortunate as everybody else, right? That whole kind of sympathy, right, is very close to what happens uh, when, when uh, the romantics are talking, or Wordsworth is writing the, the leech gatherer poets, right? Yeah, where you're talking about somebody who is equal to you, right? And it's actually glorifying or romanticizing the leech gatherer because the uh, leech gatherer has what you call fortitude. Yeah, it's, it's called courage and fortitude or some, some kind of uh, uh, title like that, right? Yeah, so the, the leech gatherer is a strong person because he uh, doesn't have anything and it's still going on, right? So here you're actually sympathizing with Miss Bates for the fact that uh, she has lost something that she was born with, right? And that's what you call wealth, right? Or uh, the economic status, right? And when one goes down the economic ladder, one feels sorry for people, right? And that was not something very unusual and I think the chapter mentions it, right? And uh, we must remember that these things happen also in the 20th century with the Great Depression, right? Yeah. And uh, this happens in business communities where somebody is very rich on one day and by some kind of fatal flaw or mistake that one makes or a miscalculation, one can be made into a very poor person, right? Yeah. So the whole idea of the ups and downs of the economic life, right, are something that's reflected upon, right? Of course, one might say that, look, this cannot be what you call romantic, right? Because uh, the romantic doesn't think about the economic. That's not true, right? The romantic is engaging with the idea of the economic phenomenon, right? And that's why the romantics are called proto-Marxist also, right? Yeah? But it's more the idea of the economic and the psychological, right? Because... Uh, when we're talking about having, right, and we're talking about Mrs. Elton, right, and we're talking about having and Mrs. Bates, and Miss Bates, right, the idea of Miss Bates not having, what, had, what she had is lost, right, so we are very funny kind of human beings, or the idea of a human being is caught between having and being, right, uh, which is something that Eric Fromm and other people have talked about, right? So, uh, what we know that uh, having is not what we are after, but being is what we are after, right? But if we don't have, we can't be, right? Just think about that. We can't be who we want if we don't have enough of money or enough of status or enough of position in society, right? Yeah, so having is important, right? You can't say that having is not important and at the same time, when you look at the idea of globalization and the American kind of uh, stamp that the whole world bears today, right? Having becomes more important than being, right? And we're talking about a world which is changing, right? And a world which, as we said yesterday, 
the idea of having is because of exploitation, right? Yeah, and nobody would want to inspire a being uh, against the slave trade, inspire a being against the idea of the notion of uh, exploitation, right? Yeah, the idea of how are you still there, right? Okay, my being is also about me having, right? Yeah, because if I'm not comfortable, which comes from having, right? Comforts come from having, right? So when we talked about uh, the idea of uh, England and the idea of nationalism and all that kind of thing, we are talking about very comfortable people, right? When you talk about uh, right-wing Indian nationalism, right? Who are the people talking about it? Only the people who are very comfortable, right? People who are not comfortable are not going to buy into the, all those ideas, right? And that's the vote bank uh, that you have. Uh, and, oh, if you talk about vote bank politics in India, yeah, that's where the vote bank is, right? These are comfortable people who do not find that they're actually talking about uh, the farmers from a very dis distant point of view, right? Yeah, so you get this same kind of idea over here and actually people should be more sensitive to the people who are underprivileged, right? The people who have less than us, right? So if we are not able to sympathize with the people who are less, to, uh, less than us, right? Then the question is, what kind of persons are we, right? Yeah, if somebody, and this goes back again to Aristotle, because Aristotle talks about somebody from great fortune comes to great misery, right? Yeah, so the question is, in drama, it's very quick, right? In life, it's not so quick, right? And that's what the chapter is telling us also, because what happens in the chapter is uh, they're talking about Mrs. Bates's birth and the idea that after her birth, she slowly gets poorer, right? And it's not comfortable to be in that way, right? Yeah. So do you get that, right? Or do you find that a strange idea, right? Okay. Some people get uh, better at, uh, in their life. Okay, or at birth, they, the family might be not very rich, but slowly they might progress and get more, right? And some people lose what they have, whether it's because of a relation of the family dying, or it's because of a, a, a mistake in business, or it's because of some forces that are larger than us, like a, a great depression, or demonetization, and all those kind of things that happen, which perhaps, or as the experts say, are going to uh, lead us to something called uh, a depression, if you're not already, or a slowdown. Today they use the word slowdown, right? But in 1930s, it was a depression, right? So the people who were rich became poor, and many of them have stayed poor, right? And some people in the depression manage to exploit people and keep themselves up, or just by chance, they happen to be more prosperous and after the depression, they get even more rich, right? Yeah, so, uh, so all these kind of things take place, right? We don't really know what are the conditions which make the Bates lose their money, right? Is it uh, the death of a breadwinning earner, right? We don't know about the property they have, but it seems that they don't have too much of property. Right? Yeah? Because the, this, the kind of condition that we are given is 
people are making uh, a living off their properties, right? So the Bateses perhaps don't have that kind of property to live off, right? Or you have somebody who's working and giving you money, but they don't seem to have those kind of people too, right? Yeah. So we're talking about uh, Aristotle's fall from grace because of being rich and becoming poor or having a status and losing your status in uh, some period of time, right? And what happens to a, uh, and they're also talking about age and the idea of aging, right? And what happens when you get old and you don't have money and the fear of getting old and not having money is something else that is hinted at, not, uh, and maybe in some uh, ways, it's something that Emma is called to reflect upon, right? Yeah, so that's something that uh, is very clearly mentioned at the end of the uh, chapter, right? So when we go back and talk about this chapter, we are talking about recollection and reflection, right? And recollection and reflection, uh, sometimes they don't hit us unless somebody tells us what's sad about something or what's good about something or what's difficult about something, right? We don't reflect, right? And that's why we need other people very badly, right? All of us need other people, right? So somebody can tell me, look, this is wrong, right? We have that when we write our essays, we have that when we live our lives, right? If somebody doesn't tell you and the person who is, who is close enough for you to take seriously enough, right? How do we learn? How do we grow, right? We can't grow, right? If somebody doesn't say that, well, this is a not the right way of behavior because of these reasons and note that they, he's giving reasons, right? Yeah. So the minute that happens and you begin to reflect, that means uh, you're in, you're actually learning something, okay? And you're actually willing to learn from the person who's brought that to your notice, no matter how hurtful it is, right? Yeah, or as Eric Fromm says, uh, he and Dr. Suzuki write a book called uh, Psychoanalysis and Zen Buddhism, right? Yeah, he's actually saying, what does psychoanalysis do? Psychoanalysis gives you a hurt, right? And when you have a hurt, uh, it hurts you, but you have to reflect upon it, right? Yeah, so if somebody says your manners are not good, right? And in this way, it's not a good idea to have this kind of manners, right? Then you immediately like, to, you would like to think about it. And because of that reflection, you can grow into a different person and you can remedy that fault, right? It's not something new in the West, right? It's what the idea of the confession is all about, right? Because the confession is looking like looking at your self in a mirror and seeing where you're missing up, right? So the idea of self-reflection is important, right? And unless we all have the idea of self-reflection, reflection as an individual, reflection as a community, all those kind of ideas of reflection are very, very important, right? And education is about reflection, right? Yeah, because when we're talking about language, we are reflecting on language, right? When we're talking about history, we are, we're talking about how events move, what are the causes and what's the effect of it, right? And some of the history is telling us that, look, the effect of something that was done 500 years ago is seen still today and maybe seen in a negative light or in a good light, right? Yeah, so whatever that is, 
But the question is, we have to reflect on what history does, right? How does history behave, right? We have to reflect on time, and time is one of the uh, the issues also that the novel keeps raising, right? So we're talking about time, how time changes, how time brings uh, uncertainties, how time brings how time uh, time brings uh, misfortune, how time changes one's status in life, right? So uh, these are some of the things that I think we need to think about, right? So we are talking about time, we are talking about mannerisms, we are talking about status, right? And we are talking about two young people like Frank Churchill and Emma, right? Who are attracted to each other, right? They don't, they don't really know how to deal with each other, right? Yeah, and that's what happens again to young people because uh, unless you mix with a lot of people from the opposite sex, right, or the opposite gender, right, and then only you know how to deal with them, right, yeah. Otherwise, it takes uh, a lot of, uh, well, shabby kind of comings together, and that's exactly what you see in chapter 8, right. There's a kind of shabbiness about Frank and Emma interacting with each other, which is very noticeable to everybody around, right? Yeah, and Frank is not ashamed of going public about it, right? And whether it's consensual or non-consensual, the fact is uh, um, that uh, they're in the open, right? Yeah, they're in public. They're actually showing that they are attracted to each other, right? Now, if one of the parties wanted to show that that was not true, right, they would have withdrawn, right? So that's again something important as far as the facts of the novel are concerned, right? Because if Emma didn't want to show that she was attracted to Frank, Frank she would have shown in some ways that she just doesn't want to have anything to do with this, right? Yeah, but she doesn't do that, right? So that becomes uh, a kind of an uncontested kind of judgment which the reader of the novel makes and all the other people in the novel are supposed to be making. Like you have Jane Fairfax and you have uh, Mrs. Elton, right? And they're going to talk about the flirtation to their family members or uh, the, the adopted family members, right? Yeah, that's in Jane Fairfax's case, right? So uh, I think with that, uh, a lot of the novel changes, though we find that Jane has made mistakes right from the beginning of the novel, right? And um, she also is reflecting, she's not an unreflecting person, right? Yeah, so you get a lot of unreflecting people who don't learn anything in life, right? Because unless we reflect, unless we see who is right or wrong, where am I right, where am I wrong, what do I change about my attitude and what do I change about my behavior, we are not going to learn, right? Yeah. So the idea is that Jane learns, right? She makes a mess, though it's not her own kind of uh, story, right? She makes a mess with Harriet's life, right? She tells her to marry somebody else, right? And Harriet doesn't have the strength to stop her, right? Harriet is not like Jane and is not like Mrs. May uh, Mrs. Uh, Elton, right? Yeah. So Harriet lets her rule her life, right? So that's something that is really disgusting, right? Uh, on the part of Harriet and also on the part of Emma, 
right? Because if you let somebody rule your life, that goes against uh, any kind of principles. Of course, there might be later principles, right? If you let somebody oppose you, and that's uh, the statement that you read yesterday, right? The idea of the English sun and we don't have any opposition and we are quite happy, right? Yeah, we don't have uh, this idea of suppression or opposition or anything and that's why we are happy, right? Now, what happens in Harriet's case is she's letting Emma dominate her, right? So if Harriet had to go to a counsellor today, you would say, well, you're letting this woman dominate you and you're pretty happy about it. And Harriet perhaps would say, yes, I don't have a problem, right? Yeah, and actually it is a problem. Because the idea is that uh, you're not consulted and there's no agency over there, right? Yeah. So I think uh, in our wonderful India or our wonderful country, today we're talking about love jihad, right? And we're talking about people not having agency, right? Whether it's the farmers or it's the women, right? Uh, the, the pronouncements are the farmers are misled and the women are misled, right? Yeah. And we're talking about protecting women, which this chapter is also doing, right? Yeah, it's a very, very conservative chapter in that. That is, the man has to protect the woman, right? And then the, the two women who are protected by Charles, right? And they are supposed to be under his care. And today, any feminist would get very, very irritated with that, right? Yeah, though you see that there are different kinds of women. Yeah, and some are able to hold their own and some are able to assert themselves, right? Yeah, so that's one. But also what happens is, uh, at one level you might read Frank as a very extreme male chauvinist because he's trying to tell Emma what to do, right? At another level he's attracted to Emma, right? Yeah? And he's trying to make everybody aware that, look, I'm interested in this woman, right? Yeah? Which is something that, unless he's very sure about his own feelings and he's very sure about the other people's, uh, other person's feelings, he won't do. Right? Yeah? He won't try to make a public statement about the relationship that he has with Emma. Right? Yeah? So that's why I call it shabby. And maybe, uh, I don't know whether you find it shabby, but I do. Right? Yeah? And, uh, and it's okay because it's young people. Right? So the shabby getting together, the shabby kind of exposing what they feel for each other, that's something that uh, may not bode well with them and certainly not with their kind of high culture uh, and the idea of the English culture at that point of time, right? Yeah, I think we can have one or two questions if you like uh, or uh, then we'll wrap up the chapter, right? So is that inter interesting enough, right? So the idea of poverty comes there, the idea of uh, uh, the idea of the, the match, right? And then what this man says later, right, uh, with, and it said with the approval of his father kind of thing, right, is that uh, he would like Emma to find a suitable partner for him, right, and she can educate the partner, right, which is again a problem, right, yeah, the whole idea of educating a partner and he says but she must have his allies and then the, 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 uh, the, um, the the blot falls on Harriet because Harriet has his allies, right? Yeah. So uh, what is happening over there? How is Emma looked at as a matchmaker, and how is Emma looked at this kind of a person 
who uh, would enculture uh, the person who's going to marry Frank, right? Yeah, and why is that needed at all, right? Can't a person be free in, instead of being uh, mentored by a woman so that she can fit into a marriage, right? Yeah, so that's a question that we might have today, right? So that's something else. And uh, the idea of, yeah, there's kind of male chauvinism and dominance over there, right? Yeah, that uh, this is the kind of uh, possession I want to have, right? And you have to make the possession into becoming what I want or uh, the way that I imagine a, a person to be cultured, right? So that's something that comes across and it actually shows at one level a kind of insecurity of Frank and maybe an insecurity about the culture, right? Yeah, because who is actually going to make statements about all these things, right? If they're very secure about their culture, the same argument that we have about Mrs. Elton placed by Jane Austen in the novel, right? Yeah, if Mrs. Elton was so secure and had so much of wealth, why is she going on yapping about it, right? Yeah, why is she talking so much about it, right? If she, the persons who actually have wealth don't make a, a racket about it, right? Yeah. Yes, anybody, uh, we've got five minutes more, right? Anybody wants to say anything against it, for it, uh, how the idea of culture is overturned, how, okay? So, at one level it's overturned, the other level it's being built up, right? Yeah, so uh, the the last chapter they're talking about English culture and all that kind of thing, right? And this is not English culture, this is not gentle culture, this is not the culture uh, of people uh, who are supposed to be uh, the elite, right? They're not supposed to behave like that. And of course, uh, we find that Jane does, uh, Emma does that when she's, the first discourse of Jane begins, right? She's, she uh, exposes herself and her emotions and then she gets control over herself and then she maintains that kind of control and even in her thoughts she thinks about, well, how I let her down as a woman, right? Yeah? Uh, so all those kind of things keep happening. And we also see that the person who learns a lot is Emma, right? She's learned not from her mistakes, but from the mistakes that she makes with Harriet and the matchmaking she, she tries to do, which backfires all the time, right? Uh, and I think with that, we can stop or some more time there is. So, yes. I wanted to ask something unrelated to the text. No. Actually, uh, actually, our external exam exam dates have been announced. It will okay. begin from 9th of January. Right. So, yes, so sir, would it be possible to wrap up Emma early? Okay. So, uh, you want me to wrap it up this week? Uh, yes, sir, that will be fine. Okay, so we'll wrap it up this week and uh, we'll take... Uh, uh, have you all finished reading that other text? Hard times, not hard times. What is it? Uh, Taylor Two. Taylor Yeah, yeah. Yes, I did it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll do that, and we'll finish it very. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Halfway through. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir, and I hope that we have it on the twelfth on uh, the the ninth of January, right? That's what it's supposed to be. Twelfth of January. Ninth of January. Yeah. Uh, have you all finished your admissions? That's what I would like to know. Yeah.